1: Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we shrink weird and wonderful science into your brain. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this special edition, Professor Martina Stenzel talks about the tiny world of nanomedicine. The Teachers Guild of New South Wales with the Australian Institute of Physics, the Australian Chemical Institute and the Royal Society of New South Wales will be holding their annual Frontiers of Science forum talks on the 25th of March at the Concord Golf Club in Sydney. For the next few weeks, I'll be featuring interviews with a scientist speaking at the event. On the night, I will be running the question and answer session between the speakers and the audience at the end of the evening. The talks will be available later in the year on YouTube. Plastic medicine at the tiniest scale. Martina Stenzel is Professor of Polymer Chemistry and Nanotechnology at the School of Chemistry at the University of New South Wales. I spoke to Professor Stenzel by Zoom and began by asking her, you're working on polymers in medicine, but what is a polymer?
2: A polymer is basically a very, very long molecule uh, We're talking here about molecular weights of uh, 100,000 million. Maybe people who are not familiar with chemistry might not really know what that is, but a typical polymer is probably as big as um, a protein, is as big maybe as a polysaccharide, like a cellulose molecule. So we're really talking here about a string, a long string of molecules uh, bound together.
1: And so how do these long strings of molecules become especially useful in medicine? Uh,
2: because these are very, very long polymers. It's a, just sort of picture it um, a lot of fibers, fibers on the nanoscale. And when you have fibrous material, um, and you sort of put a few fibers together, suddenly you get something that has very, very high mechanical stability, for example. Or you can take a fiber and um, you can coil it up and it becomes a little Mm -hmm. ball and it has then suddenly other properties. And so I think the key in um, why polymers are so attractive materials is because depending on what you do with them, you can generate all sorts of properties. Um, Just think about the life around you, sort of look around your office or whatever. There's a lot of polymers. There's, for example, the cable that goes into your computer, which is really soft. So these are uh, types of polymers that are soft, and then you have hard polymers. And uh, and you can combine that, so you can create a lot of things in between. And uh, having this possibility helps us now to create any type of material for all range of applications. And this applies to, of course, clothes, automobile industry to packaging, but also to medicine. In medicine, we we might want to use maybe polymers, for example, to complement some implants, so implants might be really hard material made out of metal, but with a nice polymer layer, we can probably get less friction. We can probably, or we definitely can achieve better interface with the body, for example, so there are all different ways where we can use polymers. Because they have this incredible flexibility, which you can't achieve with any other material like uh, metal, for example, or ceramics.
1: My question is, you're talking about all the different polymers that we use in everyday life. So you're applying all of those abilities to create different soft structures and flexible and hard structures and all sorts of different materials on demand to put things into the human body for medicine.
2: That's right. So we can now use that uh, to create a whole range of materials for medicine. And, and the application is actually very, very broad. The most thing when people think about plastics and medicine, they probably think of a doctor's bag. You have a, you have a syringe in there that's made out of plastic and so on. And of course, we use, we, we're using here plastics because they're very, very safe. There's also no problems with infections. But the type of polymers I'm very interested in are the polymers you might not really see and you might not even realize they're there. So the very first one where people are really surprised that polymers are contact lenses, for example. So contact lenses, you would think it's sort of some glass-like material, but the reason why we have contact lenses that feel comfortable, it's because it's a polymer material. It's a polymer that likes water and it makes it really soft. It makes it very, very safe. But now I like going into the body and look, how can we have polymers or plastics that can really improve our health directly? And so I mentioned before already that one way is, for example, when we have implants, we need very often a coating so your body does not reject the implant. But I like to go even further and I like to use polymers to deliver drugs. So I basically make very, very small nanoplastics. They're much smaller than the human hair. And inside in these nanoplastics, I put in um, active ingredients, therapeutic drugs to really help their delivery.
1: So that's incredible. So the drugs go into the little nano plastic beads and how do they deliver to where you want them to go?
2: Yes. So. It requires a little bit of processing. It's uh, Unfortunately, I can't just take the plastic beads in the tracks and mi- mix them together, but we have our process how to do that. But now just sort of picture, you have now a little nanoparticle. And to give you a size dimension, I mentioned already a nanoparticle is a fraction of a hair. So hair is around 100 micrometer. The nanoparticles we are working with 100 nanometer, so a thousand times, more than a thousand times smaller than the human hair. So we take these nanoparticles now, and these nanoparticles, they have the advantage that they can uh, circulate around the bloodstream for much longer than, for example, a drug. A lot of drugs that are delivered nowadays, they have the problem that the body recognizes them as something foreign, or you have drugs, for example, mRNA vaccine. If you just would use the mRNA vaccine, your uh, body goes and chops the mRNA vaccine into pieces. So it would not really survive very long. So what we are doing is now we package that into this little plastic nanobag. And uh, this plastic nanobag has properties uh, that stop the body recognizing it. It's quite interesting because your body recognizes a toxic drug, but it can't recognize nanoparticles very well. And and so these nanoparticles can now stay in the bloodstream for a much longer period of time. And because of the size, they have an uh, aptitude, for example, to um, accumulate in certain areas of the body, like, for example, tumors. So nanoparticles were really first used for cancer treatment. Um, So the first nanodrugs on the market were for cancer treatment. Having said that, now we, we see nanoparticles in clinical trial for other diseases as well. But I'm personally uh, mostly interested in in cancer treatment. So we really use nanoparticles to, to help the drug to overcome some obstacles.
1: Right. So you can tailor the properties so that the particles are more likely to accumulate where you want them to go, and you can change them so that the body is less likely to reject them. That's right. And so you combine the drugs with the nanoparticles and they go into the body and they accumulate where you want and they deliver the drug. What happens to them after that?
2: Once our nanoparticles hopefully accumulate in the tumour, the next step is the nanoparticles need to go into the cell. And actually that's a very easy step. A lot of drug molecules and a lot of modern drugs like based on mRNA or proteins... They don't really go into the cell very easily, but nanoparticles are amazing. They, go, they just go in. So now your nanoparticle is inside the cancer cell. And inside the cancer cell, we have almost like a little factory. A lot of enzymes, a lot of things sort of eating away. And they basically destroy that little plastic bag and uh, release the drug. And we can see that very nicely just in our lab when we incubate nanoparticles with cancer cells, how these cancer cells can die very quickly when you have an efficient drug in there. Good question is though, what happens to this nanoplastic back later on? And we try to look at uh, building blocks that sort of degrade into really small pieces and your body excretes them again. We do have sometimes nanoplastic that might accumulate, for example, in the liver. And that's usually not a good idea. So we need to go back to the drawing board and think about it. How can we better design that? But I think as a in my field, people don't try to reinvent the wheel in terms of, we just try to cover everything with synthetic molecules. We actually look at nature and sometimes find, there's some interesting molecules we can use. So, what i like for example doing is i like making nanoparticles using albumin that's already in the bloodstream and i put a little synthetic polymer chain on it and once i combine them they make little nanoparticles so that means half of my nanoparticle is already uh, degradable is part of the body so we, uh, Your bloodstream is, or you have an abundance of albumin in the bloodstream or in the body. So we don't have to worry about albumin. We just need to worry about that little synthetic polymer chain we need to get rid of. But as I said, we try to have something that degrades over time. And then hopefully everything is cleared from the body.
1: Fantastic. So I can see how that's really useful in cancer. Are there other diseases that you're able to treat this way?
2: There are um, a few treatments that are explored i 'm not too familiar which type of treatments they I, I certainly can look that up but <laughs> it's because i'm so focused on cancer, and every disease has its own challenges, and uh, every cancer is different so if we design one nanoparticle let's say for brain cancer, it would be a very different nanoparticle for pancreatic cancer so and um, and I know there's work on arthritis, diabetes, some other brain diseases where nanoparticles are explored. So sometimes there's an overlap in challenges and sometimes they're very different challenges. So of course, getting something into the brain, the, the common challenge is really getting across this quite tight blood-brain barrier that does not really let much through. So we need to be very clever about um, nano, the nanoparticles, how we design them. And I think once we can really uh, conquer this area, and it still hasn't been conquered by anybody around the world, but once we can, we can really deliver any kind of a drug or maybe some some drugs for mental health treatment or something like that. Because the more we can target drugs, the less drug we will need because we're going to have less side effects. So it's a very important point uh, for everybody to understand, depending on the kind of treatment, the kind of drug, sometimes in cancer treatment, only 1% actually goes into the tumor. So 99% of drugs, they accumulate somewhere in the body, they get excreted. And that's why all these side effects come from with cancer treatment. So if we can improve this number, if we can focus the amount of drug towards where we really need it, we're going to see less side effects overall.
1: So the drug in the nanoparticles, because it's going right into the cells and it's so targeted, you can use enormously less and chemotherapy will just not be as awful.
2: That's the idea. That's one of the approaches. Yeah, let's target drugs. Uh, but of course, let's not forget, a polymer chemist won't solve cancer. It's uh, We can basically assist uh, assist the medical uh, scientists in if they have a drug delivery problem. But of course, they're now developing more specialized drugs that are more uh, focused towards the cancer. Yeah, But these are very often drugs that are based on, on sort of DNA structures like mRNA and serRNA. Um, so they all require a nanoparticle for delivery.
1: You're listening to Ian Wolf on Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the community radio network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. Does this mean that yeah. there are drugs that are currently too toxic to use that you could reduce the dose so much because you're targeting exactly that these drugs would suddenly become useful?
2: Uh, certainly. certainly. I think there are a lot of drugs in development and they all have various problems. Some might not be soluble enough, although in theory they might work well. If you put them in the bloodstream, they, they get excreted very quickly. Other drugs are just too toxic to healthy cell lines. So they might work really well in cancer cells, but they also kill healthy um, cells. And you, of course, you don't want that. So you want, you want to have a natural selectivity. So nanoparticles certainly can help to increase that. Having said that, we are not really at this point yet where we can say we have this magic nanoparticle that just delivers the drug to the tumor and doesn't get into healthy cells. So we are unfortunately still far away from that. But I think in the last 10, 20 years, we we started understanding much more what happens to a nanoparticle in the bloodstream. So we get more appreciation why some nanoparticles work better than others. But we still haven't found a magic bullet yet that just takes us to the tumour. But we did find nanoparticles that are better than others, and there's certainly an improvement.
1: And so where is the research at? Are you in the stage of getting to clinical trials yet, or, or what stage is the research?
2: My type of research is very much on the fundamental side. So I basically look at the chemistry toolkit to make different nanoparticles. So I can make nanoparticles in different sizes. I can make them in different shapes. I can put different groups on the surface. So what I always like doing is putting sugar on the surface of my nanoparticles uh, because the tumors seem to like it. So I really try to understand more the fundamentals, having said that In my type of research, you always end up working with people who are much closer to the clinic. These are people who who develop uh, new drugs. They do preclinical studies, for example. And when you sort of get in there, you can help them really to make maybe sort of commercially available nanoparticles better and tune it a little bit more to their needs. So my type of research really sort of stops at very much fundamental side. We test our system on cancer cells. But once we found there's a nanoparticle that works quite well on cancer cells, the pipeline are then sort of the people really more on the biology and the medicine side. But it's very important that we understand nanoparticles and their chemistry and their physics.
1: So how did you come to apply your knowledge of nanopolymers to medicine were you just looking at these and you realized this would be a good fit or or how did your your previous research link into this
2: when i started with my academic career around 20 years ago i was really just interested in making polymers and just really looking at the synthesis of polymers but there comes always a point after a while where you think yeah that's all nice we can now make all these polymers but there must be some use for it And it was a time where this uh, field of nanomedicine really took off. You you saw more and more publications on nanomedicine. And I thought, well, here with my uh, polymer synthesis toolkit and the ability to make a lot of different nanoparticles, I felt I can really contribute to this this field by by providing more tailor-made nanoparticles. And that's really when I got into this field. So First, I had to basically learn to make nanoparticles and to characterize nanoparticles until we then thought about how can we get drugs into these nanoparticles. So they're little steps along the way. And now we look very much, for example, how do nanoparticles be, uh, behave in blood? So we mix these nanoparticles in the lab with blood. And then we look at what, what happens with these nanoparticles. Do they maybe kill blood cells or... So we, we try to understand chemistry, biology in the face, uh, in the test tube, basically. But there are slow steps uh, that took me to this point where I am now. And
1: if people are listening who want to study chemistry and perhaps get into nanomedicine, what would you recommend that they choose for their studies?
2: A chemistry degree as such is always a good idea. and. There are then some chemistry degrees that are a little bit more focused on the medical field. So at UNSW, we have something called medicinal chemistry, which is really chemistry focused on on, on medicine. But where you really get into a research field as a student, it's probably when you start doing your PhD. And I think with a PhD, you can almost come from related areas you might not have uh, had studied chemistry you might have had uh, maybe biology or physics and and you're just really excited by this field and you can always come and you have another three years to really learn a new field and really immerse yourself it's more the passion you need than anything else really so I do have students who come from chemical engineering for example they had no idea about medicine no idea about polymer science as such or polymer chemistry, but they thought, I'm really interested in, do- in doing that. And, you know, you learn understanding the, the basic biology. And uh, I think it's more being excited about the field. But, of course, some sort of science degree always helps. Yeah, so it, you wouldn't be able to get into uh, my field without having some uh, fundamental science or some medical science background. But I think any kind of background, because I think it also reflects that it's an extremely uh, multidisciplinary area. People think about chemists making molecules, and that's one part of it. But I reach into physics. I reach a little bit into mathematics when we do some computational chemistry. I reach into biology and so on. So they're really very different people coming together.
1: And what has really surprised you? in your research that you found?
2: I think I'm still surprised how complicated things are. And now it's, I I always have a lot of respect for people in medical sciences because every human is different. And, And as a chemist, things are reproducible. When I do one reaction and I do it next year, it's still gonna give me the same outcomes. But when you look at the human body and the huge varieties, it's really, really hard to comprehend how difficult things are. And I am just found it amazing, actually, that we do have quite successful drugs on the market and just the fact how quickly people could develop uh, vaccines against the virus, considering how the large variety of humans there are. And of course, we see it with some people, the vaccine works better than others. And I'm not uh, surprised by that at all. So what I learned is medical science is very, very complicated, especially as an outsider, like a chemist, where we where things are very reliable, very reproducible. When I look at medical science, it still doesn't stop to amaze me how difficult it is and actually how successful medical science has been over the last one, 200 years. It also, also brings me to a conclusion, we definitely need more multidisciplinary teams in a field like that.
1: And is there anything you'd like to add that I haven't asked you about?
2: Because it is such a wide field where you have chemists, physicists, biologists, medical researchers, clinicians, regulative bodies working together, I think what is frustrating here that uh, the the funding landscape in Australia is not very supportive of these projects. And I look at other countries where there's really more funding for these really huge efforts. And because it is such such a broad field, we need the funding to really be able to bring all these different people together. But it's a very, very exciting field. And I think there's so much more we can do with nanoparticles. We haven't really started thinking about it. Cancer was always a low-hanging field. But I think it sort of opens up to think about other diseases. Can we use nanoparticles to enhance uh, treatment with maybe cardiovascular diseases? Huge problem. But I think we really need more support from companies and governments to really tackle that. And it's always interesting when you see when you have a pandemic like that and you have to do something, suddenly it works. You know, you inject all this money, and within a short period of time, there's a vaccine. And yes, it might not be a, the perfect vaccine, but it saved a lot of lives. And it really shows you when companies or governments put their mind to something, things are happening. And so we need to do that on other levels as well. It's very sad that we have to wait for a pandemic for people to wake up and say actually scientists are up to something. You you can tell I'm always very passionate talking about plastics, polymers, the great things we can do with and really working with people outside my field. It's just such a great exciting area to be in.
1: Martina Stenzel, thank you very much.
2: It was a real pleasure talking to you. I really enjoyed uh, our conversation.
1: That was Professor Martina Stenzel from the University of New South Wales talking about putting drugs into nanoparticles made from polymers to treat cancer. She'll be speaking at the Frontiers of Science Forum on March 25th at Concord Golf Club in Sydney. I'll put links to the video and the event in the show notes. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Are you a scientist, artist, biohacker or maker who'd like to be interviewed about your work? Would your company like to sponsor Diffusion? Send your contributions, opinions, helpful suggestions and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. Please subscribe to the Diffusion Science Radio channel on youtube.com C slash Diffusion Radio. And rate the show on iTunes. Tell your friends. Follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolfe. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia to 28 stations on the community radio network, including Radio Blue Mountains 89.1 FM in New South Wales, 8 C in Alice Springs and Tennant Creek, 2MVR in Nambucca Valley, 3MVR in the Mallee Border Districts of Victoria and South Australia, City Park Radio 7LTN in Launceston, Tasmania, and 2XXFM in Canberra. Diffusion is narrowcast on Indigo FM 88 in North East Victoria. Diffusion is syndicated globally on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to the podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com and check the website for links, photos and videos about this week's show. If you enjoyed the show, you can explore more than a thousand previous episodes archived on DiffusionRadio.com, where the shows are labelled by keywords so you can focus in on the stories you want to hear. Make a donation through PayPal.me slash Ian Wolf. Or join my patrons at patreon.com slash diffusionradio. I'm Ian Wolf. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more Science Wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio.
0: Science is fun.